Good morning, everyone. It is great to be with you all this Sunday morning. I love to see uh, faces that we haven't seen in a while. It's just a real blessing uh, to be with you all. I'd love to watch uh, you worship and sing, and especially our young people here. It's a joy to watch you lift up your voices to the Lord, and it just makes me very excited to uh, get to watch this and to be part of this congregation that loves the Lord. Well, uh, this morning we'll continue our study in the book of Romans in a message that I'm calling uh, Accept One Another, and this is from Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. And this is something uh, that we all need to work on as brothers and sisters in Christ to be accepting of one another, uh, people who uh, differ from us uh, in opinions about disputable matters, and that's what we're talking about this morning. And speaking of disputable matters, uh, Molly and I went to see... Uh, a concert the other night by a cover band who was doing Journey songs. Uh, And you're thinking to yourself, perhaps, wait a minute, does our pastor listen to secular music? (laughs) Our pastor listens to secular music. Uh Uh-oh. And we're already thinking about that. Are you you feeling that way? Are you feeling that uh, there is uh, an issue with that? So there were probably a thousand people or so in attendance at this concert. Uh, And they all had different opinions, right? They come from different walks of life. So they have different opinions about religion, politics, uh, cultural issues, social issues, uh, all the way from things like that to appropriate dress. How do we dress when we're going to a concert uh, at a beach, uh, which was at the lake at Little Elm? So it's a beach concert. People are dressed in various different ways, as you can imagine. Some people brought picnic coolers. Uh, They had beer. They had wine in their picnic coolers. Other people didn't have a cooler. They just brought their own chair. Other people, after the spirits started to flow, uh, got out on the dance floor and they were dancing up a storm to journey music, uh, while others, like Molly and I, stayed seated in our chairs. Uh, But this is a thousand strangers here, right, who come together uh, and they're united by one thing, right, their love of old journey music. Well, Paul wrote this epistle to people of various backgrounds as well, right? Uh, This letter to the Romans, let's remember that these are real people in a real church uh, that Paul wrote this letter to. We can tend to think of this as a dusty old letter, a theological treatise written 2,000 years ago. uh, But it was written by a real person to real people. And and the church in Rome was comprised of uh, people of Jewish background and people of Gentile background, obviously very different religious cultural, ethnic backgrounds that made up this church in Rome. And so the Jews, of course, they followed the law of Moses, right? Moses had given them the law, and obedient Jews followed that. Meanwhile, pagans uh, had their own rituals that they followed, right? Idolatrous feasts and love fests and whatever else uh, that they were doing. And so you have the Gentiles and you have the Jews. Then you have people who are older in their faith, uh, you know, 20, 25 years perhaps since Jesus died when Paul wrote uh, this letter to uh, the Romans. So some of them had been Christians that long. Others brand new in their faith. And so uh, you have people of, of various walks and various levels of maturity. They're all changed by faith in Christ. Uh, but they're strangers, different backgrounds, different ideas, different ethnicities, different levels of maturity, but united in one thing, which is their love for Christ. Now, in our own body, uh, we have people who are newer in their faith. We also have people who have been walking with the Lord for 70 or more years, I guess, for, for some of us. We have believers from different backgrounds, religiously, ethnically. Uh, You know that my background and some of your backgrounds are Catholic. I come from a Catholic background. 
Now, some of you come from Methodist or Presbyterian or Episcopalian or Pentecostal backgrounds, a very different backgrounds. And so uh, we may have different opinions on what our practice of worship looks like, and we may have different opinions about the disputable matters of the faith. You know, Molly and I were at that concert for two hours. Uh, and after that, you know, these people were total strangers to us. We would never see these people again. But in the church, uh, this is an ongoing concern, right? And it's going to be an ongoing concern until the Lord returns. And so uh, though we have differences in backgrounds and uh, opinions, uh, we need to realize that, that we need to accept each other even though we have these differences. We love Jesus Christ. We choose to worship him. And part of worshiping him means that we accept one another because he has accepted us. So we need to accept each other despite our differences. So this little subsection in the book of Romans that we're be beginning today, uh, the, the main section is uh, chapter 12 through the end of the letter, which is the practical application of everything he's taught in chapters 1 through 11. But this little mini subsection that begins today in chapter 14, verse 1, and extends to about the middle of chapter 15, uh, is about accepting our Christian brothers and sisters uh, who have different opinions about things that God has not spoken explicitly about uh, in the Bible. And so this is a continuation of the law of love that we've been talking about for the past uh, several weeks. Uh, we accept one another. Uh, we, we have liberty in Christ, but then we never use our liberty in a way that is going to uh, harm another believer's faith. Uh, and so we have to learn to accept other believers, even if we disagree with them about disputable matters, because Jesus died for all believers. You know, Satan hates the fact that every single one of you and me are saved, right? He hates that fact. He, it, it drives him crazy. Uh, and he can't change our destination, and he knows it. Our salvation is secure. Our destination is heaven. Nothing can change that. But if we're not careful, Satan can use these little differences in theology and practice that we have. They're like little threads that he can pull on to try and disrupt the church, to cause disunity, to divide blood-bought saints, believers in Jesus Christ for whom Christ died. We have to be aware of this as believers, that Satan never rests. Uh, just because he's defeated and he knows he's defeated doesn't mean he's taking that lying down. He is going to do whatever he can to tear apart the body of Christ, and we need to be aware of that. So he does it by causing damage to our relationships and our witness to the world when we come across as uh, judgmental Christians uh, who are not willing to accept one another. So we're going to discuss three principles today that show us uh, how to accept one another despite our differences in disputable matters, at the same time while thwarting Satan's plan to destroy and disrupt the church. <clears throat> so the first one is this. We accept the weak in faith because God has accepted him. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who... Uh, but uh, he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. <clears throat> All right, so before we go any further, let's just remember uh, and, and articulate what it is that Paul is talking about here. We have to recognize, first of all, 
that there are essential doctrines of the Christian faith, right? Uh, we believe in the Trinity. Uh, we believe in Jesus's eternality. We believe that he is born of a virgin. We believe that uh, he was fully God and fully man. We believe in Jesus's atoning death on the cross. We believe in the resurrection, and we believe that Jesus is coming again. These are the non-negotiables of the Christian faith. You take any of these away, and you no longer have Christianity. So Paul is not talking about accepting the differences that people have with regard to the essentials or the, non, the, the essentials of the faith. We have to hold on to these things. So we have these essentials of the faith. We also have clear teaching in the Bible. God spoke very clearly about certain moral issues, behavioral issues in the Bible. So how must a Christian behave? Here are some examples. Don't kill, don't steal, don't have other gods, marriages between one man and one woman, forgive others, don't lie, don't be yoked to an unbeliever. These are, are clear teachings of the Bible, right? And so when we come to this letter and we're talking about disputable matters, God has spoken very clearly about certain issues, and those are not disputable matters. Paul is not talking about accepting differences about these matters. But then there are what might be called opinions, right? And that's what we see in verse 1. Uh, the word for opinions is this word, dialogismos, uh, which means disputable matters uh, in the NIV, disputes over opinions in the RSV, decisions of scruples in the ASV. So we see it translated various different ways. Uh, the matters that we're talking about here are, are the matters where the Bible is not specifically clear one way or the other. It doesn't prohibit, it doesn't authorize, uh, it's just not clear necessarily. And then also includes issues where there are differences in interpretation of various verses uh, where it's not crystal clear uh, what God means. And so uh, we might call these things gray areas, and that's what I'll call them, uh, areas where God has not explicitly spoken or where reasonable people can differ on their opinion about these things and still be in the family of faith. We can still be Christians. So you have the essential doctrines, you have the clear teaching, and then in the middle of that are, are these gray issues. And so examples of these things, dancing, can we dance? Uh, alcohol, uh, can you drink any? Uh, Chuck and Glenn, yeah, Chuck Glenn and Laura, yes, we can dance. Uh, that's not a, uh, a disputable matter, right, <laughs> among some people. Um, uh, alcohol, can you have a drink of alcohol and, and still be within God's will? People's taste in movies and music, you know, Harry Potter, is that evil? Because it's got witchcraft, can we watch Harry Potter movies? Uh, whether to use musical instruments in church, you know, some denominations don't allow that. Mode of baptism can be very important in some churches, right? Some people sprinkle, some people immerse. Uh, view of end times, uh, that can be very divisive. Even the color of carpets can be divisive if you have a church project going on and people can't uh, decide. Here's some more. What Bible version do you use? Some, are, some churches are King James only, right? And others are very uh, into which Bible version they use. Uh, your position on a women's role in ministry, that can be very divisive. Celebrating Halloween, that's one. Do you let your kids go trick-or-treating? Pews versus chairs. Uh, church splits happen over that. Political affiliations, uh, that is a big deal. We are not, uh, because we are blood-bought saints, affiliated with one party. We're affiliated with Christ. Uh, and so, uh, but these are examples of gray matters where we have uh, the ability to differ and still be part of uh, the uh, family of God. So uh, what we see here is that there are a million different things that can cause us to go our separate ways. 
and these are what we would call gray areas. Uh, so Paul's command with regard to these gray areas, don't judge, accept. Just accept. Many of you uh, have been part of church splits. You've experienced that in your lifetimes. And so uh, when you think back on those things, uh, was it an essential doctrine that the church split over? More often than not, no, it's not an essential doctrine. Uh, was it a clear moral teaching? Well, yeah, I mean, that happens. But most church splits, statistically speaking, happen because of some gray issue that two sides can't agree on, and it results in a church split. So this is what Paul is talking about in this section of Romans. He's talking about these gray areas, except one another. So Paul starts by mentioning uh, what he calls the weak in faith. So let's just talk about who these are. First, there's a translation issue here that we need to get out of the way, and, and that is that the original Greek actually has the article in front of faith, so it should be translated the weak in the faith, not the weak in faith. Some versions have it right uh, that way, but most don't. So now accept someone who is weak in the faith is how it ought to read. So there's a difference there if you think about it. Weak in faith means uh, they're not sure if they believe in God, or perhaps they do, but they're not sure he's got the ability to answer prayer, uh, that kind of thing. That's, that's weak in faith. But weak in the faith, the faith is like a synonym for the gospel. In other words, they don't have a, a real great understanding of what the gospel is. Uh, and so an example of that might be, well, they're still trying to earn their salvation by works. They have some kind of combination of the gospel and works because they don't fully understand the gospel. That's weak in the faith. And the more they understand the faith, the gospel, uh, the more they will understand that the rituals and rules that used to bind them no longer do. So for Jews, the, those who are weak in the faith are those who, for conscience's sake, uh, still kept the dietary laws, and they still observed certain days. <clears throat> Moses gave them the dietary laws, as we know, uh, but then Jesus came. And in Mark chapter 7, there's this great passage uh, where, um, where Jesus says uh, to, the, uh, to the people there that it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean, but what comes out of his heart, what comes out of his mouth that makes a man unclean. And then Mark adds this parenthetical comment that says, uh, Jesus, by these things, declared all foods clean. Uh, but yet still, many were uncomfortable uh, with the abolition of the dietary laws. They didn't understand uh, that salvation is through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. Uh, and they were adding their own works by adhering to dietary laws. And, and Paul called that the weak in the faith. Now, but Paul was also talking to pagans who had their own issues with food, right? They might go down to the market to buy a piece of meat uh, which had only perhaps been sacrificed to an idol just a couple hours ago, and there it is uh, on the, on the uh, table. Uh, should they buy it? Should they eat it? Uh, they don't stop believing if they do, but if they were weak in their faith, eating meat potentially offered to idols might be a, a violation of their conscience. Uh, but whereas the, more, uh, the, the stronger in faith uh, understood that an idol is nothing and you can eat this meat uh, even if it's offered to an idol. So we have uh, what Paul sets up as a dichotomy, the weak in the faith, and then he'll talk later about the strong. There are many reasons why someone might be weak in the faith, right? Uh, we, can, we can think of a whole bunch of them. One is that they're, they could be just a brand new believer, right? They just haven't understood uh, everything uh, yet because they're, they're new Christians. They haven't learned yet. They might not have, have read the Bible. They might not have sat under biblical teaching so that uh, it's clear to them. 
They just may, may need exhortation and encouragement on certain issues. And, and mostly, though, I think, is what they need is time. That we have to allow uh, Christians time uh, to develop and understand and, and strengthen their faith. So the, the problem with the weak in the faith, it's not that they're rebellious, and it's not that they're weak in self-control, or that they don't love Christ. It's none of those things. Uh, it's, that, it's, it's just a, a needing of maturity. Uh, and a development of their uh, maturity and spiritual life and, and their conscience. And so uh, they don't yet have the assurance that the Christian faith allows them a certain amount of freedom. But notice that Paul does not condemn the weak in faith, right? He never condemns them. Uh, even though it's clear from reading through into chapter 15 that Paul doesn't agree with them, He's, he would consider himself among the strong, not among the weak in the faith. So we're all at different levels of spiritual maturity, even in our body uh, and in the wider Christian world. We're at different levels of Christian maturity. Uh, some are weak in the faith. Uh, they might grow stronger over time. They might change their opinions as the Holy Spirit works on them uh, about the observance of diet and days and various other gray issues. Even yourself, think uh, how you were when you were a new believer, about some of the things that you thought and some of the things that you did and how that has changed over time as the Holy Spirit has, has worked on you uh, towards sanctification. So we have the weak in the faith, and then on the opposite end of the spectrum is what Paul calls the strong. He refers to them that way in verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 1. And it's, it's good to be a strong believer. We should all be striving towards strong belief. Uh, but being a strong believer doesn't just mean that you have a, a good handle on the gospel and that you're living a holy life. It also means that you're willing to accept the one who's a little weaker than you are uh, in your faith journey. Uh, because let's face it, like if you see a Christian who is real strong in their opinions and, and uh, you know, has this idea in their minds that they're right about everything, well, that's not a sign of strength and maturity. That's a sign of immaturity, isn't it? That somebody uh, thinks they're right about everything, can't be corrected, is unteachable in things because they've already made up their mind and there's no room in that person's life to accept somebody who holds a different opinion. That's actually being weak in the faith. So someone who is strong in the faith uh, is able to mesh with people who have different opinions about disputable matters. Uh, we recognize, if you, if you consider yourself a strong believer, well, you recognize the essentials of the faith, and there's no room for compromise there. You recognize the clear teaching of the, the Bible, and there's no room for compromise there. But there is this huge swath of gray area where there ought to be room for compromise for us uh, in the Christian church. Uh, even if we don't bend to that person's idea, we, we allow it, uh, and, and we consider that person a, a brother or sister in Christ, even though... Um, they hold a different opinion of us than us. So Paul said on the non-essentials, uh, it, it's, it's not an essential doctrine of the faith. Don't divide over it. Don't dispute over it. Uh, what matters, what's really important is, has that person received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior? And if they have, well, then they are in the brotherhood of Christ. Uh, and it's okay to have disputes about different matters. And that's why Paul said, accept the one who is weak in faith. Now, this word for accept is a, a pretty neat Greek word. It's, it's the word proslambano, which is a compound word. Uh, pros means to move toward, and lambano means to receive. So put them together uh, to move forward to accept or receive, or to extend a welcome, or to receive into one's company uh, or circle of acquaintances. So, so we see that it's not a passive thing. 
It's not just you know, tolerating or putting up with. It's, it's actually to move forward, uh, to, 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 to wrap your arms around them and welcome them into uh, the fellowship. So uh, this same word is used in Acts chapter 28. Do you remember when Paul and uh, all of his shipmates uh, were shipwrecked and they landed on the island of Malta and those people came out. They made sure they were okay. They gave them shelter and food for an entire winter. That's pro-slambano. Uh, we also see it in Philemon 17 when Paul uh, writes to, uh, to Philemon and says, Receive Onesimus as you would receive me. Uh, a good friend of Paul's, uh, you know, who pro Paul probably led to the faith. Uh, receive him, accept him, proslambano him as you would uh, with open arms. That's the idea, with open arms. So uh, that's how we do it. We, we, we want to recognize uh, this, this uh, brother or sister with different opinions and accept them, but not for the purpose of correcting them, right? This is something that the Christians are, are very good at. Ver verse 1 warns against that. Sometimes what we do is we accept them so that we can earn the right to tell them how they ought to change so they can be just like us. All right? that's, a, that's a very uh, a familiar strategy in the Christian faith. If they believe the essential doctrines, if they obey the clear moral teaching, then it's okay if they have different opinions about disputable matters. Don't look down on them. Verse 1 says, don't pass judgment. Uh, a better translation of that is actually don't have arguments, don't have disputations about these disputed matters. So we can exercise discernment, and we should, uh, and we can hold our own opinions without getting into fights with people about these disputable matters. So we lead by example. We let the Holy Spirit do the work, and over time, the Holy Spirit can certainly make changes if they need to be made. It's not our job to fix Christians by correcting their beliefs about disputable matters. Uh, and this works both ways. Paul was not just concerned about the strong doing this to the weak. He was concerned about the weak doing it to the strong as well. Verse 3 says that neither the strong who eats anything or the weak who eats only vegetables should regard the other with contempt. Other versions might say to look down on or to despise even. It's a very strong word that Paul used here. So Christians who felt free to eat meat might look down on the people who didn't as legalists, right? Hopeful legalists who were trying to earn their way to salvation by this ascetic lifestyle of depriving themselves of meat. That's one thing that could happen. And then the vegetarians could look at the meat eaters as you know, people who have just thrown it all away. They've, they've, they've abandoned all the dietary laws and now they're just loose cannons out there uh, where anything goes. And Paul's point is we should accept one another rather than despise each other because God has accepted all believers. And I just want us to think about that for a second. What does it take for God to accept a believer? Well, the first thing that has to happen, we've studied this all the way back in chapter 8, he has to foreknow us. He has to predestine us. He has to call us. And, and he has to cause us then to believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. And so, we see in that that it's all God's work, right? It's not our work. It's not our opinions that got us into God's good graces. Uh, God has chosen in advance the people who will be saved, his elect. And so when we think about it that way, God has accepted us with our opinions, and he's accepted our brother with his opinions without the need for us to change our brother's opinions, right? He accepted his, the, our brother with the opinions that he has. 
Uh, and so we have to be aware of that, uh, that, that God has accepted us all, even though we have a difference of opinion about these disputable matters. And we need to understand that we are not our brother's master, right? God is his master. And so he answers to God. He doesn't answer to us. This, these uh, thoughts about disputable matters are between uh, him and God. So if we're talking about uh, matters like music or movies or dancing or clothing uh, or secular music, whatever it happens to be, this is between the believer and God, God and the believer. Because this is about authority. God is the one who has the authority to accept a believer. Uh, God has not given that authority to us, right? He didn't say, uh, Bob, you go around and you decide who's a believer and then I'll accept them into the kingdom, right? That's, that's not how God works. The relationship is between each individual believer and God. And this can be a problem in church because, you know, let's face it, Christians can be awfully judgmental, right? Sometimes we're extremely judgmental. So here's one way. Let's say we find ourselves in a casual conversation with somebody and, and we learn through talking to this person that he or she is a Christian. And we ought to rejoice in that, right? That, great, you're a Christian, but what do we do? We, 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 we dig, we, we dive deeper to see if they're really a Christian, right? What, what, really, what church do you go to? Uh, and, you know, they find out, well, they're, they come from this kind of background or that kind of background. And then we decide whether they're really Christian or not based on the beliefs that that particular church or denomination holds. Uh, and so that's one way we do it. <clears throat> Another way we do it is by watching the way people live. Uh, right? And, and we make judgments. We make decisions about whether they're Christian or not by the things they do. Uh, the lady on the beach with the two-piece bathing suit, she can't be a Christian because she's wearing a two-piece bathing suit. Where's the modesty? Right? Or you see somebody uh, who's having a beer and you say, oh, well, he can't be a Christian. He, he obviously drinks alcohol and that's of the devil. So, uh, you know, we have these judgments that we make as Christians and we have to be careful about that because we have to realize that we have no right to judge. This is between God and the believer. Now, having said all that, there is a difference between uh, discipling and despising, right? The, the word is don't despise. That doesn't mean that we don't have an opportunity to speak into a newer believer's life uh, and to help raise them up into Christian maturity. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to disciple newer believers. So we disciple, but God does not call us to dispute or despise them. And so uh, we, as, uh, if you consider yourself a strong believer, you ought to understand that there is a difference between salvation and sanctification, right? We're talking about believers who are saved. They have their salvation, which happens in a moment in time, right? But after that moment in time, sanctification springs from the salvation. They now have the Holy Spirit, and they're on this journey toward Christ-likeness. So I like to think of it as a, uh, as a timeline where you have justification or salvation as this moment in time, and then a lifetime of progressive sanctification leading up to glorification, the day when we go to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, you know, we might be in various places on that timeline, but none of us has achieved full Christ-likeness, right? We're, we're working on it, but we're a work in progress, and we're a lot closer, every one of us, to the beginning uh, than to the end. We're not going to get there. Uh, some of us are further along than others, and our role as Christians is to help each other along on the road of discipleship, not to hurt each other in progressing toward that goal by disputing or despising, but to move them along through discipling. And so we help other believers 
by discipling. We don't condemn, we don't dispute, we give them room, as Paul said, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's about a believer deciding, working out through prayer or Bible reading what he believes about these disputed matters. That's what it means to accept one another. So that's the first principle, accept one another because God has. The second is to be fully convinced in your own mind about gray matters. Uh, One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord." Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's, for to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Well, this is where Paul gives a second example. The first uh, section, verses 1 to 4, was about dietary laws. In this section, there is also, uh, they were observing special days. Uh, For example, for the Jews, the the seven feasts and, and new moon days, for example. The pagans also had their special days that they would observe. Now, the weak in the faith continued to observe those days as they always had, and the strong no longer observed those days. So this is just another example of how Christians can divide. Now, here Paul wrote this in Romans uh, chapter 14. About four years later, maybe five years later, Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians, and here's what he said about this in chapter 2 of Colossians. He said, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So Christ has come. He's replaced these ceremonial laws with himself, right? Christ is the end of the law for those who believe. But even though people were still practicing these new moon festivals or whatever, Paul said, no one is to act as your judge, Uh, So this is a disputable matter. If it violates your conscience not to do it, then go ahead and do it, and vice versa. Uh, So this is the idea here. Uh, So once we're saved, once we're obeying the clear commands of Scripture, again, we still have this huge area of gray issues where Christians can disagree. And Paul used the observance of days and dietary laws to illustrate, but it could be literally anything that divides us. The important thing is that we become convinced in our own minds about whether we should be doing this or not doing this. And and what does that that entail? Well, we ought to be reading scripture. We ought to be talking to other believers. We ought to be praying about whether this conduct or whether this belief is is, uh, accurate, appropriate. Uh, Let's say the example is dancing. So we're talking about dancing. Some denominations prohibit it. Some denominations allow it. Uh, Coming right out of verse 6, Uh, whatever this issue happens to be, there's a couple questions that we can ask to determine, is this something we ought to do? He who does so observes it for the Lord. So can you do the thing or believe the thing you're doing and observe that for the Lord? And the second question, can you do it and give thanks to the Lord while you're doing it? And if those two answers are yes, go ahead. If if the answer is no, well, then don't. Don't violate your own conscience. Uh, So Moses' sister Miriam, for example, when we talk about the example of dancing. Aaron built the golden calf. Miriam danced around that. Was dancing good in that situation? Well, no. But David danced to the Lord with all his might. Was dancing good in that situation? Well, yeah. 
So the question is, where is your heart? Are you fully convinced in your own mind? Are you observing it for the Lord? Are you giving thanks to the Lord as you do it? Uh, if that is so, uh, and you've made that decision in your mind about disputable matters, then it's no problem. And we should look in every, at everything in life the same way. That's why in verses 7 and 8, Paul uh, used life and death, right? The two extremes, which would include everything in between. Uh, anything in between would count. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul said, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so this would encompass any gray area. If you're doing it for the glory of God and it doesn't violate an essential of the faith or a clear moral teaching, you have freedom in that matter. We belong to him because he died for us. He bought us with his blood and he is our master. We are not each other's masters. So be fully convinced in your own mind. And the third principle, don't judge your brother because God is judge and we will give account to him. Our brothers do not give account to us and God doesn't give account to us. We will all give account to God. Verse 10, but why? You, why do you judge your brother? Or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. <clears throat> the term your brother indicates a fellow believer, right? A, a, a member of the body of Christ, a member of God's family who we will spend eternity with. This person and us, just the same, Christ is the one who lived and suffered and died for that person. We did not live and suffer and die for anyone, right? We have no ability to do that. Christ did that for them, and so Christ is their judge. Why do you view your brother with contempt? The word contempt means to look down on with disdain or to treat that person as though they have no value or merit because they hold to this particular opinion about a disputable matter. We have no right to do that as a Christian brother or sister to each other. We don't have that authority. God did not give that to us. And when we exercise that authority, we are removing God from the throne and we're placing ourselves on God's throne and we are standing in judgment of each other as though we have the right to do that. And the irony is that God will remove us from his throne and he'll put us at the defendant's table and then he will judge us for the way we have treated other Christians. Now, our salvation is secure. I'm not talking about judgment in terms of our salvation. Uh, every believer uh, who has accepted the Lord Jesus Christ is saved, uh, but we will all still stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be judged according to our works. 2 Corinthians 5 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We know from the Bible that some of our works will be burned up and some of our works will endure. Uh, but this is, what, uh, this is the judgment seat that we are going to appear before. And what we see is that even believers, every knee will bow. Verse 11, uh, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. 
Uh, that's from Isaiah chapter 45. You probably recognize that because Paul used it famously in Philippians chapter 2 as well. Uh, but God's judgment of believers proves that he is Lord over all of us, even believers, and he does not give us the authority to judge others. We will give an account to him, and part of the account of what we will give to him is how we treated other believers, particularly those who disagreed with us on disputable matters. So we've seen that we should accept the weak in faith because God has accepted him. We've seen that we should be convinced in our own minds about gray matters, and we've seen that we shouldn't judge our brother because God is judge, and he will judge us as well. Well, we may not agree with a lot of what our Christian brothers and sisters do. Uh, secular music, uh, dancing, just two examples. Uh, as Christians, we can be very quick, though, to place labels on someone else, can't we? We can call them pharisaical on the one hand, or we can call them liberal on the other hand, but if we're looking at another brother or sister in Christ, we should be able to put just one label on them, and that label is Christ lover. If they are a Christ lover, if they love the Lord their God, as we sang, with all their heart, with all their whole soul, with all their mind, with all their strength, leave them alone. These are brothers, are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, if they are living faithfully, allow them to have their own opinions. Uh, where they are convinced, you know, it's okay for us to have debate about theological matters, uh, but it's not okay to reject someone, to dispute with them in, in a way of despising or looking down on them. It's between God and them. It's about their relationship with God. So let God be God. Uh, we love them and we trust the Lord to, uh, and the Holy Spirit to do the sanctifying. All right, a couple of quick applications. Uh, pretty obvious as they come out of this. So accept other believers as they are. Let's just remember that God accepted us as we were, right? Wretched, sinful, lost, and hopeless. God accepted us in that condition. And if we forget that, if we become uh, you know, advanced in our faith, we've been following the Lord for 30 years, 40 years, if we forget our lost condition when, when we were saved, or how little we knew when we first became believers, well, it's easy for us then to look down on other believers as immature in their faith and, you know, how could you think that? How could you do that? Well, you know, we probably did too. Let's give a little bit of grace, right? Uh, we all want it, but we're not always quick to give it. God's grace to us is that he loves us enough to save us, but he loves us too much to leave us that way, right? He develops us over time. And so uh, God doesn't want us fighting about these disputable matters. As children of God, there is much more that unites us than divides us. So let's focus on the things that unite us. If you're further along on your journey than another, well, accept that believer, um, help them along. The second, don't judge. God pointed, appointed Jesus as judge, not us. So God judged us, not guilty of every sin we've ever committed when we believed in Jesus Christ for our salvation. That's grace. Now, we need to be attractive to others by giving that same grace to others. And attractive Christians don't condescend or despise uh, their brothers and sisters in Christ or even outside of Christ. How are we going to draw anybody to Christ if we are condescending and unattractive Christians? But for believers, we are a family of blood-bought, Christ-loving believers who may not always agree. Like all families, we don't always agree, right? But we are family, and not only that, we are all going to spend eternity together. So why fight about these things that have no value in our eternity? So don't judge. Third, let the Holy Spirit work. 
God lives inside every single believer, right? And if something needs to be changed, the Holy Spirit will do the work. Uh, our job is to be encouragers rather than to be the theology and behavior police, right? Let's not do that to brothers and sisters in Christ. And finally, remember the law of love. In view of God's mercies, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Our continuing duty is to love one another with gentleness and kindness. Real love is sacrificial. It's the love that Jesus showed on the cross by dying for us for our sins. We need to be able to put aside non-essential matters and just let it go. It's not that important. St. Augustine first said, in the essentials, unity, in the non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. And if we do this, we will fulfill the law of love. Amen? Amen. Lord God, uh, help us. Lord, I think we do mean well uh, most of the time. Uh, And yet, Lord, sometimes uh, we just stick our feet in our mouth. Uh, We can be know-it-alls. We can be judgmental. Lord, as as you work on our hearts, as you sanctify us uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, Lord, will you just help us to understand grace and help us to give it to others as we would want to receive it ourselves, as we did receive it when we were newer believers. Lord, I just pray that uh, through us you would build the body of Christ. May we never... Uh, say anything or act in such a way that would uh, spurn others or turn them away from the Lord Jesus. Lord, help us to be attractive Christians, to love each other well, and to build each other up rather than tear each other down. We ask these things in Christ's precious name. Amen.